dropping on my face. It's a man, it's a man, watch that. It's a man, it's a man, watch that. It's a man, it's a man, watch that. Welcome to the Matt Watch That Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to review a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, continuing my theme of Halloween, I'm going to talk about trick-or-treating. The first few years of trick-or-treating were fun. You and the kids from your neighborhood would go out as a group, your parents would be there, you'd collect the candies, make small talk with the neighbors, curse under your breath when someone gave you a roll of pennies, but then eventually, your parents trusted you enough to go out on your own. And I feel bad for kids these days who have helicopter parents who think their kids are going to be taken at every turn. That's the media for you. Look, there are no more psychopaths now than there were 30 years ago. The only difference is, now they can get elected to Congress. Trick-or-treating with your friends was a lot of fun. You had shaving cream, eggs, toilet paper. Yeah, there might have been some property damage. But, you know, it's one night a year. But at some point, you got a little too old for trick-or-treating. You really stop putting in the effort. You know, you put on a football jersey, and when someone asks, and what are you supposed to be? Yeah, I'm, I'm Jerry Rice. And you always had that one wise cracking neighbor who's like, oh, go long, I'll throw the candy to you. It's like, don't test me, dude. I got shaving cream in my back pocket. But my friends and I got a little strategic, because what we'd do is we'd put on one costume that had a mask, and we'd go around the neighborhood collecting candy. And of course, there were some neighbors who said, oh, lift up your mask, want to see who it is? Because at that time, neighbors actually talked to each other. So they would say, oh, Matt from down the block, how you doing? And you'd keep that in your head, like, all right, the mask was taken off there. Then you change costumes, go out without a mask, and collect even more candy. Now, of course, I could have done it again with a different mask. But come on, I didn't want to get too greedy. I loved trick-or-treating. I hope everyone can get out and get some candy this year. And if someone leaves a bowl on their porch that says take one, just take one. Or say that you have a sister at home sick and take another. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is skip it. Two stars watch at your own risk. Three stars standard fare. Four stars worth checking out. And five stars must see. Now, if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. I'll keep the spoilers to a minimum, tangents to a maximum. These are my ruminations and observations of the movie Scanners from 1981. It was directed by David Cronenberg, who helmed The Dead Zone, The Fly, and Rabid. He also wrote the screenplay. The movie starts off with the introduction of Cameron Vale, who walks through the mall, and he sits down at a table outside of an eatery where he hears the thoughts of a pair of women. They're not thinking the nicest things about him. He seems bothered by their comments, and as his anger grows, one of the women starts to have an epileptic fit, 
While he's clearly the cause of her anguish, he seems to struggle in controlling his telepathic ability. Two men dressed in Columbo-style trench coats witness the event and chase after Cameron, shooting him with a dart that looks like it's meant for a two-ton elephant. He wakes up in a room strapped to a bed being observed by Dr. Ruth, no, not the famous German-American sex therapist. That would have been a completely different movie. This is Dr. Paul Ruth, a psychopharmacist, who explains that Cameron doesn't realize he's a scanner, which can be the source of great power. And with great power comes great responsibility. Ugh, like we haven't heard that line enough. Cameron Vale is portrayed by Stephen Lack, who starred in Montreal, Maine and The Rubber Gun. He appeared in a few movies in the 80s, but since became an artist and specializes in paintings. Wonder if his sell for $500,000 to anonymous donors. Dr. Paul Ruth is played by Patrick McGowan, a well-known character actor who popped up in Silver Streak, Escape from Alcatraz, Braveheart, and played four different roles on the series Columbo. Meanwhile, in a convention at Comsec, an international security company, a man is doing a demonstration of scanning and asks for a volunteer. He cautions that the process can have painful side effects. Daryl Revick raises his hand and ends up turning the tables, out-scanning the scanner, in an explosive scene. If you know what I'm referring to, there is no explanation needed. If you don't, the movie is worth watching just for this special effect. This is my odd movie observation. Luis Del Grande, as the first scanner, could have the most memorable scene in movie history. It's less than five minutes, and it's his only appearance in the film. I cannot think of any other scene that fits those criteria. So immediately, Daryl is taken into custody by security guards. While they're transporting him, he uses his scanning abilities to cause havoc and escape. Daryl is performed aptly by Michael Ironside, who's known for Total Recall, Starship Troopers, and Top Gun. Usually plays a villain, and he's great at it. Highlander 2 The Quickening could be one of the worst movies I've ever seen, and I do like that franchise a lot. But Michael Ironside as Katana is the best part. Back at Consec, Braden Keller is introduced as the new head of international security, and he suggests dropping the experiment of using scanners as weapons in espionage. Dr. Ruth, the head of the program, is against the idea and explains that there's an underground group of scanners led by Daryl Revick, who are well-organized and motivated to use their skills against humanity. He suggests that they eliminate the group. Contact a scanner who is unknown to the underground and sympathetic to their cause. Have him infiltrate the group and destroy the other scanners. This is where Cameron Vale comes in. Here's a quote without context. My art keeps me sane. Scanners is a really solid B-movie. There were elements that reminded me of They Live, though this one takes itself a little too seriously at times. And while there weren't any six-minute fight scenes, there were plenty of interesting sequences. I would be remiss to talk about the infamous scene. Like many people, I was familiar with this prior to watching the film. I dare say it's iconic, and it 100% holds up. I never realized how close it happens to the beginning of the film, and at that point, you're either all in on this movie or heading for the bathroom. It does drag a little in certain scenes where Dr. Ruth is working with Vale to hone his skills. It's not as interesting as Daniel LaRusso learning how to karate or Rocky training montages, and there are only so many times you can watch a scanner staring into the camera as they use their ability. But I'm pretty sure the Duffer brothers were inspired by the movie for some of Eleven's traits. After Cameron Vale uses his scanning abilities, his nose starts to bleed. 
Sound familiar? Speaking of sound, the sound editing was fantastic. The score, sound effects, and dialogue were mixed really well in scenes, especially when we get a sense of what's going on through Cameron's mind. Now for a little trivial trivia. Jennifer O'Neill, who plays Kim Oberst, is top billed and yet doesn't appear on screen until 37 minutes into the movie. That could be a record. Alphonse, Alphonse, look that up for me. The cinematography was captured by Mark Irwin, whose filmography includes Scream, Old School, New Nightmare, and work with Cronenberg on The Fly and The Dead Zone. It was edited by Ronald Sanders, who's known for Eastern Promises, Coraline, A History of Violence, and A Dangerous Method. There were a couple of crossfades that were really nice, but for the most part, very straightforward, nothing too fancy. The special effects supervisor was Gary Zeller, who helped create that iconic scene. Also worked on Dawn of the Dead, Amityville 2, The Possession, and The Last Dragon. The final fight scene has some really impressive makeup and fire effects, all practical back in those days. The score was composed by Howard Shore, who wrote the music for The Lord of the Rings, The Twilight Saga, bit of a drop-off there, Ed Wood, and The Silence of the Lambs, one of my favorites. I initially wasn't a fan of the opening theme because it was too orchestral and overdramatic, but then it added a bit of electronic sounds and the percussion elements that Shore is known for. Most composers use similar motifs in their work, and some of the music reminded me of the scene in The Silence of the Lambs when Clarice figures out who Buffalo Bill is while at the Bimmel residence. The runtime is 1 hour 43 minutes. It had a budget of $3.5 million and grossed $14.2 million at the box office. There were two sequels, Scanners 2, The New Order in 1991, and Scanners 3, The Takeover in 1992, and two spin-offs, Scanner Cop in 1994 and Scanners The Showdown in 1995. There was a potential remake in a television series, but neither have come to fruition. Ultimately, the movie comes down to Inside Voices, Heads Up, Telepathic Curiosities, Yoga Master, Beautiful and Frightening, Ephemeral, Access Past, Ripe Program Inaccessible, and Mind Meld. I give it a little over 3 out of 5 stars. Definitely better than Eraserhead, but not as good as some of the other 3.5 starred movies I've watched. Add a star if you're a B-movie buff. If you've seen Scanners and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Moving right along. Each episode, I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called Matt Watch That Playback. Right Now by Van Halen is my absolute favorite song. It's a perfect balance between Eddie Van Halen's music and Sammy Hagar's lyrics. If you ever need to feel inspired, all you have to do is play this song, and if by the end you're not pumped, are you even alive? The music video was directed by Mark Fenske and features phrases about what's happening right now. Some are lighthearted and trivial, but it's frightening to think how many are still relevant 30 years later. Tell me if any of these sound familiar. Right now, oil companies and old men are in control. Right now, justice is being perverted in a court of law. Right now, blacks and whites don't eat together very much. Right now, there's a bomb factory hard at work. Right now is just a space between ice ages. Right now, someone is working too hard for minimum wage. Right now, our government is doing things we think only other countries do. Kinda scary, huh? 
It's an amazing song, incredible message. We lost a true icon with the passing of Eddie Van Halen, but the music will live on. This video is available in the Matt Watch That Playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about Millennium. Created by Chris Carter, the mind behind the X-Files, the show was initially pitched as Seven in Seattle, with each episode focusing on a new serial killer. Ex-FBI agent Frank Black is a consultant who's brought in to help solve the cases. He has these visions, though it's not established if the images are supernatural-based or because of his refined skills at understanding the mind of murderers. Lance Henriksen plays the lead character, always enjoyed his work, and my first exposure was through the movie Aliens, where he played the android Bishop. He's been in almost everything, but the highlights include The Terminator, Pumpkinhead, and Hard Target. I thought the first season was some of the best produced television, not surprisingly since Seven is a top 20 movie for me. But as Chris Carter focused on the X-Files feature, Fight the Future, executive producers Glenn Morgan and James Wong took over showrunning responsibilities and shifted the tone of season two, creating an overarching mythology and adding supernatural elements to the series in hopes of attracting new viewers. While Morgan and Wong were responsible for some of the best X-Files episodes, and they're the minds behind the Final Destination movies, I wasn't a fan of the direction they took Millennium. Chris Carter came back for season three and tried to write the course, but the ship had already sailed and viewership was at an all-time low. There were still some quality episodes, but it had veered too far from its initial premise. Mark Snow composed the theme music and incidental score, as he had with the X-Files. Some of my favorite work of his appears in this series. It's worth a listen on YouTube. Millennium was on for three seasons, 66 episodes, from 1996 to 1999. It ended on a cliffhanger, but there was an X-Files episode which featured the character of Frank Black and wrapped up his storyline, albeit not as satisfactory as fans of the series would have liked, but it was nice seeing him on screen again. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. I plan on having interactive elements, so follow, subscribe, and like for all the latest news, updates, and polls. Until next time, we've won. It's like, don't test me, dude. I got shaving cream in my back pocket. Back pocket? <laughs> <laughs> the cinematography was captured by Mark Irwin, whose filmography includes Scream, Old School, New Nightmare, and he worked with Cronenberg on The Fly and The Lead, Den and the lead Zone. Get the lead out! It ended on a cliffhanger, but there was an X-Files episode which featured the character of Flank Back- Flank. <laughs>